Thank you for joining me for Soulful Conversations with my community of fellow travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. These conversations highlight what travel really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. Each week, I'll be speaking to women who are tourism professionals, world travelers, and leaders in their communities. We'll explore how travel has changed them and how that has rippled out and inspired them to change the world. These conversations are as much about travel as they are about passion and living life with purpose, chasing dreams, building businesses, and having the desire to make the world a better place. This is a community of people who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness, and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. I'm Christine weinbrenner Eirich, and this is The Soul of Travel. Megan Haney-Greer is a pioneering freediver, ocean explorer, and longtime conservationist. With more than 20 years of experience working both above and below the waterline, Megan has built a career as a professional speaker, marine educator, stunt diver, podcast host, and television personality. In 1996, Megan made history by establishing the first U.S. freedive record for both men and women in the constant weight category. She has performed underwater stunts for Hollywood films such as Pirates of the Caribbean and Into the Blue, and has been featured in numerous television shows and publications worldwide such as Life, People, and Outside Magazine. Megan was recruited by Discovery Channel to be part of an elite team of explorers and starred in their original series, Treasure Quest Snake Island. Megan's passions come together in her work for the ocean as an advocate and storyteller, raising awareness and empowering the next generation of ocean stewards to engage and tackle the critical issues facing our oceans today. Recently, Megan developed and launched an original web series called The Imperfect Conservationist. In these short video clips, Megan delivers a dose of what she likes to call conservation empowerment, giving bite-sized and impactful ways to incorporate conservation action into busy everyday life. I loved hearing about her early days as a freediver and how the sport and her place in it have evolved, and exploring her mission to embrace imperfection as we navigate conservation efforts so that we don't find ourselves stuck and not taking any action. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Megan Haney-Greer. Welcome to Soul of Travel podcast. I'm so excited today to be sitting down with Megan Haney-Greer, who is a pioneering freediver, ocean explorer, and conservationist. Um, she set the first U.S. freedive record for both men and women and has worked in Hollywood as an underwater stunt performer. So we are going to get to talk about some really fun things today that I'm so excited to bring to the podcast. So welcome, Megan. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here. Well, I was going to say we should dive right in, which is what I always say, but it's never <laughs> been a pun before. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I love yeah. that one. 
So I would, I would love to uh, give you a moment just to quickly introduce yourself so um, my audience knows who they're listening to, and then we'll move on from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you did a, a very good job yourself introducing me, so I don't know what else I need to say. But um, yeah, my name's Megan. I'm a free diver, a very old school free diver, I will say, uh, way before it was um, more mainstream like it is now. And I also very much consider myself a explorer. One, I have a, I have very uh well-honed wanderlust and yeah i'm a mama bear and i uh love to what else i'm an imperfect conservationist that's kind of the the main header that i've been doing a lot of my work under lately and uh, we can talk more about that coming up but i yeah all of my adventures uh in free diving and my deep water roots have kind of come full circle to becoming an ad an ocean advocate um working in outreach and impact and just helping you know speak for the ocean and elevate the messaging of what we all can do even when we can feel so helpless in the face of the big issues we're facing today so with the environment and ocean I love the the idea of being an imperfect conservationist. That's actually what brought us together. Kinga Phillips, who was on my podcast, we were talking a little bit about the intimidation factor when you're talking about conservation or looking at these bigger issues. And she said, oh, you have to talk to my friend who is literally imperfect conservationist. So um, awesome. Kinga for the connection. Thank you, Kinga. <laughs> Well, to, to get to know a little bit more about you, I would love to get to understand kind of when you first felt that wanderlust and that connection to the sea and when it started to become an important part of your life. Yeah, absolutely. So my, let's see, my story began by a totally different large body of water. I was born in Duluth, Minnesota, um, which is right on the point of, of uh, Lake Superior. And so when I was around 10, my family moved, my mom remarried, and my family moved down to the Florida Keys, which is really where the ocean story starts for me. We had visited the ocean, but, you know, being a kid from Minnesota, like the North Woods and creeks and streams and all those things were were very much ingrained in me in my default environment. And then when I got down uh, to the Keys and we're living on this rock in the middle of the ocean and, you know, the, the front yard is the Atlantic Ocean and the backyard, so to speak, is the Gulf of Mexico. My default environment, it was, that was like a 180, you know, it's, it's warm all year. Um, when my mom would shoo us out of the house after chores or homework or whatever was done, like you kids go out and play, like took on a whole different meaning. So I'm out, you know, crawling through the mangrove forests and seeing alligators and saltwater, uh, crocs and do it, you know, just like all this, this different just environment to explore and, and soak in. And I mean, the underwater world was like stepping into Avatar, you know, where everything was alien to me. I had no idea what any of the creatures and all this, co the colors and all of that were. And, and so it was such a neat, a neat way to branch out uh, my environment and 
you know, really my interest and, and affinity for travel and, and the, my wanderlust in that way. My mom always traveled. So she was a big traveler. And a lot of times she would take uh, my sister and I with her, but she would always do, even when we lived in Minnesota, she would always go on like, uh, with her best friend down. And, and it's funny. So this travel is how I ended. Well, I mean, obviously, okay. Travel's how I ended up at by the ocean, obviously. But this is so interesting. My mom was on a girl's trip from Minnesota with her best friend down. Now it's a, a popular destination to go, but she was down there in Isla Mujeres, which is a little island off of Cancun, Mexico. And it was like not a tourist destination at all back then. And that's where she met my, my stepdad, her husband. My gosh, like 36 years ago, whatever it was. And that's how we ended up in the Florida Keys. So she was coming from Duluth, Minnesota. He was, had sailed over from the Florida Keys with a, his salty crew, you know, and they met on the beach randomly in a non-tourist destination at that point. So that is how I ended up. So, uh, you know, that, that kind of unique twist of fate, uh, down in the Florida Keys. And that set the trajectory for my whole life. Uh, of what I'm passionate about, finding my purpose in life, um, and and all of it, and, and being an ocean advocate. Yeah, that's so amazing because I think uh, it's fun to reflect. Like I, I love having these conversations when people have that moment. They were like, "Wait, I never thought about it in that way or noticed it." But it's so amazing the pieces that fall into place to to get us where we are. And when you really start thinking about like the sliding door that could have happened. Yes. And, and all these things would be different. And, and maybe you would still be like, this is part of me and I don't know what it is, but I live, you know, in a different part of the Midwest and I'm just not feeling fulfilled. Right. That mechanism to happen. Well, that's so amazing. Thank you for sharing that. When I, when you were talking about like the contrast between coming from, you know, having like lake and forest in your backyard to having the ocean, I was thinking about, I grew up in Montana and then, I don't know, probably when I was in my late 20s, went to Belize for a month and got certified to scuba dive. Mm -hmm. And there's something about like, you can go to the rainforest and the animals and the trees and everything are different, but not like so foreign. Like you have some context, even though like you've never seen a monkey or a scarlet macaw but it still doesn't feel so alien. And then you go under that water and you, like you said, it is like Avatar. It's like, what is down here? And it also feels like anything could be down here. And yeah, when you're hiking, you I just don't get that same sense. I'm not like, it's such a different way that you feel in that space. And so it's like really freeing and awe-inspiring and a little bit terrifying because yeah. we can't really wrap our minds around how big things are and how deep things go. And I'm sure, yeah. you know, you've spent so much more time in the water. Now you have a, a greater sense of that, but it is such a mystical place to be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we have outer space, right? And then it really truly is our inner space. And just to think about, you, you know, the, we've explored so much of, of, the universe and outer space, but we've explored more of that than our actual underwater world, which is just incredible when you start thinking about that, about actual space that we on our own blue planet that we haven't even explored yet. And so, you know, we're making headway and all of that with the different submersibles and the ROVs and all this stuff. But it is pretty incredible to think about it in that context. Because like outer space, right? It's just becoming the idea of being accessible to 
average people um, like ourselves to go into outer space, which I have no interest in doing that. But man, I feel 100% at home underwater. Yeah, it is. It is such a different and that's such a good comparison as well. Well, I would love to hear how then you went from kind of exploring your own backyard to freediving. And when did that become a part of your journey? Sure. So like I said, it was really our default environment growing up. Uh, once we once we got down to the Keys, we spent our free time in the water, out sailing. Uh, we had Lou Key, which is part of the National Marine Sanctuary right off of... I grew up on Summerlin Key, so it's kind of right in between the two. Ones that people know pretty well are Key West and Marathon. And so Summerlin is like smack dab in the middle of consider it kind of the country of the of the Florida Keys, the countryside, because we're not in the not in the big city of Key West as much as you would call it that. But yeah, so we would go out to the reef and, you know, go on sailing trips for our vacations and things like that. And I guess, you know, just spending so much time in the water, I really took to it. it's really funny because my sister, she moved back to Minnesota literally the day after she graduated high school. Uh, she went to college up there. She still lives up there, really just didn't take to the water in the same way I did. And so we both had that environment, but I just, I felt like I had come home and I loved spending all of my time in on underwater. And then when I graduated high school, I took some time off and from going back to school and was modeling in Miami Beach and would come home and spend a lot of time still. And I would just be out on the water all the time because I had all that time freed up that I wasn't in school. And from there, when I got into freediving, it was very, it's not what it is today. And for anybody who may not know what freediving is, it's breath hole diving. So the competitive side of freediving is basically how deep you can go on one breath of air. And the category that I started competing in was called, uh, or is called constant weight. And so just like it sounds, whatever weight you bring down, uh, you have to bring back up with you. And so back then, however, it was very much, um, it was very obscure. I was compared to evil Knievel all the time. It was considered a daredevil stunt and all this. And it just, it's come so far. Now you can get a certification in freediving through one of the major agencies, uh, certification agencies and some of the small or most of the small ones as well. And thing is, is, you know, I was spending all the time out on the water. I'd stumbled across a couple really basic techniques, like don't look at the bottom, take a couple extra breaths, uh, start free falling after a certain point so you're not wasting your energy, that type of thing. Really basic stuff. And uh, I was out on a spearfishing trip with a couple buddies of mine, and I had uh, a, I had borrowed a depth meter watch. And so I was like, oh, well, let me see how deep I can go with these little tricks I learned. And I did 87 feet on my first try. And then, you know, I was, I was kind of, I looked at my depth meter watch when I was down there and I'm like, whoa, I have definitely not been this deep. And so I should maybe go back up. So I went back up and then I did 120 feet on my next dive. And so I was like, wow, okay. So I loved free diving. I wanted to spend all of my time now even more underwater. And, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to try and figure out how deep I could go, like push my own limits. And, and I was, uh, at the time I was 18 and just, you know, it was so exciting to find something that I was so passionate about at that young age and, and just literally pour all of my energy into that. And we came up with, um, 
this is this is way back in the mid 90s and there was no, you know, internet. We certainly wouldn't be t- chatting with each other on, <laughs> you know, Zoom and recording and doing all this stuff in this fashion way back then. So I did my research at the library and found out that there was no US record in the constant weight category uh, ever set. So in 96, I established that first record, uh, US constant weight record for men and women, and uh, with a dive to 155 feet. And then a little less than a year later, I bettered that record to 165 feet. And so really, I mean, people have gone so much deeper now. And, you know, it's like I said, it's really evolved over the last couple decades to where um, it's a mainstream sport and a way to, you know, connect with the ocean. And there's competitions all year round, all over the world. And it's really exciting to see how much it's changed and grown. And and like I said, people go so much deeper now. But my claim to fame is that I got on in that trailblazing ground level and uh, and established that first record and helped kind of kick it off, especially here in the United States, because, you know, free diving itself has been a means of hunting for spearfishing and a way of collecting food and things like that. And, and the Ama divers, uh, in Japan, the, you know, that are the pearl divers. So it's, it's been utilized in that way internationally for hundreds of years. But it, as far as being a sport, it's very young and very, very young here in the United States. So it's been exciting watching it grow and change over time. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, I'm just imagining the difference between what it looks like to do it today when there are parameters and education and resources and where you're like this 18 year old girl with your buddies and you're like, hmm, let's see what could happen. Let's see what we can okay. do. Yeah. I mean, it literally was trial and error, you know, and there's, I mean, it can be very, very dangerous. Um, yeah. you know, uh, and we just, we didn't really know. Um, mm-hmm. so we had some close calls, you know, I pulled my coach up off the bottom of the pool, which was just my friend, you know, like my coach, I had a couple coaches that we just all started <laughs> training together. Um, and it was, but yeah, it was very homegrown, very trial and error. I mean, I would tow, tow the boat, uh, with a rope around my waist, you know, to get to exercise and get my legs, um, in a state of, of lactic acid and try and work through that. And, and I'd push the car for two miles. And I put, I mean, it was like, you know, we were mixing topside sports training with apnea, you know, and, and being in a state of breath hold. So it was just kind of this combination taking what we did know from sports training topside and then combining it with this kind of new realm of, of free diving. See, see what could happen. You know, it was very, very exciting time. I mean, it's hard. It's hard you know, even in, in our lifetimes to do something for the first time for that's new, you know, that hasn't been done before. And, and I am incredibly thankful. You know, I think about the young woman I was then and I'm like, way to go, lady. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's so, I mean, I'm, I, cause you know how you can kind of have that, like, and this is the same with travel too, where you can almost have that. It's you, you look back, 
but mm-hmm. it's this out, it's almost like this out of body, you know, it's yeah. like you have a separation, enough mm-hmm. time goes by and you have this separation and you look back at trips you did in your, you know, in your early life as a kid, or then in your twenties, like you were talking about in Belize and just all this stuff. And it's, it's really similar in that way. It's like, I can, I can look back and just sometimes I try and channel her energy, yeah. you know, I'm like, man, if I'm, cause you, you change so much over the course of your life and you have different responsibilities and obligations. And it's like, what you often hear like, Oh, what would you tell your younger self? And I'm like, what would she tell me? Right. <laughs> what, what advice could I get from her and try and, and it's in there, right? Cause it is you. And so trying to go back to that point when it's this, thinking about it with wanderlust and travel and just the the guts you have as a young person in that way, you know, throwing caution to the wind and you're not worrying about like you're literally feel invincible and trying to channel that. Sometimes I'm like, man, I want to bottle that. <laughs> yes, I agree. And I'll tell a story about a travel experience I had when I was younger, you know, to someone I know now. And the first thing is they like, they look at me like there is no possible way that that's the same person that you are today right and and then I like look at them and I almost want to agree I'm like oh wait no that must have been a book I read you're right that wasn't me yeah and then yeah that freedom you have when you're younger because you don't have the same responsibilities and you don't have the same understanding of risk and consequences but it does allow you to just really like just let go and be a part of something like that and it's so amazing and I agree like it would be very interesting to hear like your internal thoughts from that point in time and read right. back to that and see how you could pull it into this life. But also I think as a mother, this is something for me with diving even um, after I had kids, I cannot put my head back under the water. It's so crazy. I have tried a couple of times really, and it's just like every mama cell is like unnecessary risk, unnecessary risk. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can't breathe underwater and you have three children. And I'm like, oh, but it's fine. Like I was even in Bali and it was like clear blue water, flat sea to the bottom, like perfect, you know, like diving in a swimming pool essentially. And just me and one other person and a dive master, like all of these perfect things. And I tried for like 15 minutes and I just was like crying. And I was like, I don't think I'm a diver anymore. I think I'm I'm done with this. (laughs) I'm hoping maybe I can get back to it. But it's just interesting. Like whoever that version of me was like, it's, I'm just a different person now. So yeah, it's so interesting just how we, we evolve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I've made some, some changes as well, but not definitely not with diving. So I hope you can get back to it too, because God, it's so amazing. But now I take my son free diving with me, which is really, really awesome. Oh, and actually here, this is the a picture when he was first, he could snorkel before he could swim. So here he was, <laughs> he, I was showing him how to do his mass that's down in the keys, but I love that, you know, just the exposing him to that that realm under underwater as well has been really it's almost like I get to see it for the first time again mm-hmm. you know because yeah. I see his face and I see his his eyes and he if you speak snorkel you know like he's talking to me through his snorkel like oh my God. 
<laughs> it is just so cool. He's sometimes he's in. Well, a lot of times he's in when I'm not in. I'll get waterlogged, and I'm like, oh, I want to go sit and you know soak up the sun because I get cold or whatever. And he'll be out there and he's singing through his snorkel and he's doing, you know. So I hope you get back to it, especially with uh with any ocean side adventures you have coming up in your next next big travels. Yeah. No, I, I think we'll at least be snorkeling, but maybe the diving will come back when I can feel like that comfort with them. Yeah. So you're okay snorkeling still, yeah. just not diving. Oh, well yeah. that's yeah. I mean, I prefer anyway, obviously, free diving. I've been deeper free diving than I have. Uh, scuba diving but here's the thing what i what changed for me along the lines like i i was competitive 96 and 97 and then in 1998 i assembled and captained the very first u.s freedive team to compete in the world cup and that was really exciting but it also was really educational for me um bringing all of the people together all these freedivers together was i mean incredibly exhilarating you know and watching people dive and and um just seeing the process and all of that and i was 20 you know and what i learned was uh about myself that i really didn't like the competitive side again uh, of it i liked competing against myself i liked pushing my own limits seeing what i could do but even that started becoming more like, I don't know, it felt like, um, it felt like, like work. And this was my, my zone of like, where I went to be at peace. I've never really been a good at uh, yoga or meditation or really stopping, you know, and free diving forces you to be, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but like forces you to be present in that very moment because you have to be. And I love that. And it's so it's kind of like my my spiritual zone that I love to do. And and those things weren't meshing for me where it was like, go deeper and and you know the e egos involved and all of that stuff. And so I for me, freediving turned into um or maybe I just got back to this desire to just connect with the environment. And be so it's more about bottom time and being able to go in there and relax. So, so I prefer free diving and, you know, snorkeling and just skin diving and that type of thing anyway over, over the rest. And it really is such a great conduit into conservation, you know, where you're, where you're connecting with the environment in such a different way. There's no noisy bubbles. There's none of that. And you can just like be this this visitor hanging out, resting on the bottom and the creatures get curious about you and they kind of come, come out from where they are and investigate you. And what, what are you doing? You know? And then they just, if, if you're there long enough, they just get back about their business and it's so cool. And, and it does connect you in that way where it's like, okay, this, this place is part of my story. This place is part of me and I want to protect it now because it's part of me. Yeah. And that's kind of where all of my, my, uh, fuel for conservation comes from, I would say too. Yeah. Well, that was, that's a great uh, segue because my next question is, you know, really after you've had that privilege of exploring and you've been able to see the ocean like all around the world. So you, you are starting to understand like what healthy ocean looks like and healthy environment looks like. And, and now that is, like you said, a part of your story, how did that lead into conservation and then eventually into in, the imperfect conservationist? Yeah, so it it was really uh you know my my journey with conservation started I would say very young. I just didn't recognize it in that way uh all those years ago, but 
Um, really there was a time where I was working a lot with sharks and alligators and, uh, we were doing all, all sorts of, you know, basically experimental free diving with these creatures. Um, it was, uh, we were documenting our encounters with them and we were doing a lot of, this was the mid nineties again. So we were doing a lot of hands-on work with the animals, which that's evolved so much for me. I've changed so much. I don't utilize the hands-on uh, method with really anything out in nature anymore, but it's, um, you know, we, our understanding of conservation has changed a lot um, collectively, thank goodness. And also our understanding of predators' important role in the ecosystem has, has evolved so much too since the mid-90s. So if you're thinking back to that time, you know, it was, it was very much a kill or be killed mentality. That was kind of the prevailing mentality out on the water and with alligators, you know, it's like the footage we were collecting from our encounters. We ended up having, um, my buddies and I, we had a show on Animal Planet back then and it came out in 1999, which was the same year the crocodile hunter came out, which he was very hands on too. And, it was this at the time, this good counterbalance, like I was saying to that mentality where it's like promoting coexistence because you don't need to kill it just because it's there because it, you know, is perceived as being really dangerous or we don't understand its, its full role in the ecosystem yet at this point. But, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's like, Hey, we're down here. You know, we were doing this, this cutting edge trailblazing work with the animals. We had no weapons. We had no, um, protection. We weren't diving with chain mail or cages or anything like that, or even tanks because we were free diving. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the methods used for conservation with the animals and things like that today are in part based on the work that we were doing then. So there's a lot of rescue that goes on with alligators and crocodiles. And there's a lot of wildlife photography that goes on now, which was not being done in that way where we were free diving in the swamp with these alligators going up to them and, and seeing what we could do and saying, Hey, you know, they're indifferent to us at best. I understood the way this ties into to my conservation work is that I understood with all of the changes I was seeing take place underwater with the reefs, with the encounters with the predators, I was seeing that we had a huge impact on their world. And I also was seeing that just about everything we thought we understood about these animals was 100% wrong. So what else were we getting wrong? You know, and I was at that time, I was like, okay, wait, so let's change how we're viewing these predators. Let's, let's try and collectively like shift the, you know, move that needle to where we get to bring the stories back. You know, not everybody had an iPhone in their pocket at that time that technology did not exist. So we were, we were bringing stories back from underwater, um, through the footage we were collecting. We got the show on Animal Planet promoting coexistence and conservation uh, from those stories. And then throughout time, you know, I continued to see the underwater world and the reefs in particular degrade, um, you know, with climate change and the increasing temperature of the water and coral bleaching and plastic pollution. And all of these things really started just coming to a just coming right in front of your, you know, your, your, for they were really brought to the forefront. That's what I'm trying to say. They were just, 
you know, you could not go out on the boat and not see a stream of plastic having um, worked its way into the seaweed lines and things like that. And so then it started, you know, I was getting invited to do public, I do a lot of public speaking, and I was getting invited to come speak in different venues, whether it be school or, you know, the Explorers Club or wherever to talk about my stories in the water and talk about my free diving and the animal work and, and, and stunt diving. Eventually I got into for Hollywood and television and things like that. And so I was invited to talk about these things and it became very clear to me that the real part of the story is what's changing underwater. And, and maybe you haven't gotten to see this and this is the problems that we're having. But then it was like, you can't stop there, right? You can't just leave, you can't pull on everybody's hearts strings and like crack them open, ready to go, oh, well, what can I do? And then not have an answer <laughs> because once you're aware of the problems, you have to, it's, it's really important to understand the problems going on in the, with the environment, but you can't get stuck there, you know, cause that is so depressing for one. And it can be really debilitating where you just feel paralyzed, like, oh my God, it's too big. I can't do anything. So, where do you take it from there? Where do you go? The way that, you know, this is kind of the evolution through time where I was like, okay, so we need some tools. I need tools. I need, I'm an, I'm a solution based thinker. And that's where we need to take, you know, the problems we have and we need to take it to the solutions. And that a lot of that's happening, you know, when, when you think about conservation, a lot of what we do is we go, oh, there's these huge you know, NGOs and the, you know, the nonprofit organizations tackling things. You hear about like organizations like Four Ocean and for each, you know, item you buy from them with the bracelets and the different things that they have, they take a pound of, of ocean trash, uh, or they take a pound of trash out of the ocean. And, you know, so you hear about these big things and you, you maybe see, um, what the work Sea Shepherd is doing where they're out, you know, fighting the whaling ships and things like that. But, not everybody can just up and and start an organization or a global movement like Greta Thunberg or all of this work is so important, but it's not necessarily within everybody's grasp to do. So we have this big problems and we see these big solutions happening. And, and um, with what I was experiencing personally was overwhelmed with all of that. I'm like, you know, can I donate or how can I be involved? And it just felt like it it, even though it was important, and of course it is, it felt like it wasn't really doing much. And I'm still having an impact in my daily life. And then I was starting to feel really depressed and sad about that. And that's like a total rabbit hole you can go down. And, you know, I was thinking, well, what do I do? You know, everything seems so small and insignificant. And then I started looking around at my life and I'm like, okay, well, I bring my water bottle everywhere. And then I'm like, okay, well, that's one thing. Is that going to change the world? No, but I actually feel pretty good doing that. And I was like, okay, well, and I use my reusable bags when I remember them at the store or to bring them to the store. And is that making a difference? And I'm like, what? Well, I feel better when I do that. And so then I started looking around and it dawned on me that the whole point is that it, it is these small insignificant things by themselves don't maybe really mean that much. But when I add them up collectively in my day-to-day -day life, it matters to me. It matters to my kid. It matters to um, people that I've seen at the grocery store 
that I don't know that uh, I, I call it car bagging. One time it, it dawned on me that I was like, I forgot my bags again because, oh my God, everybody forgets their bags, right? In mm-hmm. the car. And I was like, I'm just going to bag them at the car. So now I, I car bag and I've been stopped multiple times by people I don't know. And they're like, oh my God, I never thought of that. That's a great idea. And then I get back this proof positive impact to me that the the little seemingly insignificant things I do make a difference to my immediate environment, maybe to the people around me, to to my life, my kids' life, and bettering, you know, the the community here. And that's how this ripples out. So through little steps like that is where this brand, the imperfect conservationist, was born because I'm like, man, we cannot do it all. And you and I were earlier talking about this, this, you know, perfectionism, paralyzation that we can get where it's like, oh, I have got to do it all and it's got to be perfect or it doesn't make a dang bit of difference. And it's just not true. It's not the case. And when we make a difference in our own lives, that is, uh, so empowering. So I, I like to call it conservation empowerment. And that is really my, my um, message that I bring to, you know, groups that I go and speak with and a program that I'm developing um, as far as like a workshop to really just empower myself and my kid and, and my friends and all of us to make these little changes. Because when, when we make small changes, and we bake them into our everyday life, they they become a habit, they become sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I started looking around, like I said, in my life, just going, okay, so I'm busy. I'm a single mom. We're all busy, right? Like I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going in a million directions, it feels like at all times. And I still try and do self-care so that I can show up for my kid and, and all of these things and be the best version of me that I can be. And when I think about making changes, it's just like, oh my God, it's another thing to add to my to-do list. Even if it's like, you know, take takes an extra 10 minutes. It's like, yeah, along with the other 40 things I'm doing, you know? And so it's it um the criteria that it has to meet uh for me to try and make a change in my life for the environment, for the ocean, these places that I feel part of, is it has to be easy, it has to be affordable. And it has to make an impact because I don't want it to just get lost, you know, in the, in the fray and diluted in that way. And I think when we pick things, pick our battles, when we pick our battles, uh, then they, they, uh, we're going to pick things that we can really work into our life in the right Mm -hmm. way. And it fits into the puzzle pieces of our day uh, or, you know, as a puzzle piece in our day. And then we make it habit and then collectively, you, when you look around at all the little tiny tweaks that you embedded, you know, to become habit in your daily life, it's a huge impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. That's so amazing. And it's such a good perspective to to think about it. Because like you, I'm like, I will solve all the problems of the world. And then I'm like, just kidding, I'm going to stay home with my head under my blanket. And then you realize you've done nothing. And if you right just gave yourself permission to do what you can do, right now. And the same thing in the in the conversations about being a more responsible traveler, like, don't let this idea of how to be the perfect responsible traveler stop you from being an imperfect responsible traveler, like, yep, just do what you can. Like, I mean, it's the water bottle thing is 
honestly the easiest. And I just was at the, my kids' school today and noticed like all the water bottles that kids had lost. Um, but I was thinking about like, you would have been crazy to take a water bottle to school when we were children. Yeah, I know like, that you didn't do that. You like, earth yeah. would you do that? We were and a very dehydrated generation. By <laughs> we <way>. were very <laughs> dehydrated. We must have been. <laughs> I do think about that too. I'm like, did we ever drink water? I know. Um, I, I have zero recollection of that. I mean, I remember water fountains, but how often did you go? I mean, maybe to get out of class, like I did a, a drink of water, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But just to think of the mindset change of how no very normal it is to have a water bottle now. And that was the result of, you know, many people, one, like wanting to have that access to the water, but then having the the knowledge that we can't have all of these single use water bottles. And then for right. me, one of the things was straws was like, oh my gosh, straws do not need to be given out the way that they are. And so I just started having them in my car. And if I get a cup of coffee or an iced tea and I want a straw, I have a straw. And then you talk about that rippling out. Like I remember one time I went somewhere and they offered me a straw and my daughter, one of my little girls was like, why would you offer my mom a straw? Don't you think she cares about sea turtles or something like that? And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> like, Go. <laughs> But it is this, it happens like those right. awarenesses start to happen and it ripples out. Right. And I mean, you know, I feel like it's really important too. like with all of those things, there's no, there's no illusion that that alone is going to save right. the planet. Right. Or what, like, it's such a cliche term, save the planet, but it's more like save the people at this point. Planet's going to be fine. Uh, once, you know, like ugh. It's it's such a complex, complicated issue in every way, shape, and form. Nature itself is so complicated, so the or complex, I should say. But you know, there's no illusion that one of these things is going to save the planet on, on its own. But the thing is, is that it does make a difference. It makes a difference to you know um, to lessening our impact. It makes a difference to your own just empowerment, a feeling that some of this stuff is in your control because let's, I mean, let's face it too, just being real, we didn't get here where we are with the big mess in the environment we have just by one big thing. Mm -hmm. This was the accumulation of a bunch of, you know, poor choices over time. A lot of it, we didn't even understand the choices we were making. You know, you think about plastics and things like that. And how that just used to be like, you know, there was no awareness. It was not created to be recycled. It was created to be thrown away without, you know, we're so good at that of not looking into the future of like, what could possibly go wrong? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got here by this, this compilation of like millions of little decisions and, and choices and all of that as consumers and as individuals and all of this stuff. That's how we got here. And that is how we are going to dial this back and roll it back. Because, you know, you think about it too, like we have such an incredible power as consumers. We have such incredible power as consumers. You see the changes starting to slowly happen. You know, we have car manufacturers starting to make a difference. We have, God, what is it called? I was so impressed with it. Now I forgot the name. It was, um, it's this organization. It's a nonprofit having to do in Hollywood. Where, oh my God, I can't believe I'm forgotten. It's this great nonprofit. I'm going to have to send it to you so that we can post it with this because I want people to check this out. But basically it's, it's cutting the plastic out of, you know, out of movies and television. Like 
they should not be holding um a plastic water bottle on television. Is that going to save the world? No. But is it going to make a difference because they're influencers and millions and millions of eyeball eyeballs around the world mm-hmm. are going to you know, be seeing that? Absolutely. That makes a difference. We as consumers, we consume. And so we have a choice and we have an impact and it takes, you know, all of us doing our little sustainable part that we can, um, to turn it, you know, it's like turning a freighter. It takes a minute, you know, like, but we are starting to see the changes taking place. And and there's just no way around that. The proof is in the pudding, you know, we're seeing changes and they're for the good. And I love uh, Dr. Jane Goodall's quote in particular, and I'm so bad at remembering quotes verbatim. So I'll just give you the gist of it, but it's one of my favorite quotes. And it has to do with, (laughs) I have a big fear about quotes because I feel like I always get them wrong. So every time I say a quote, it I lead with that, which is probably not necessary, but anyway, there you go. But it's basically that every one of us has an impact on the planet every day. And we have a choice of what kind of impact that's going to be. And that's, that's exactly what it is. Every day we wake up with a choice and can we do it all? Nope. And nobody's asking you to, except for ourselves. We put these like impossible expectations on ourselves, you know, and, uh, and each other to some extent. And then we, um, I have, uh, my web series that I, that I did over the last couple of years. Uh, I have seven episodes up and I encourage anybody to take a look at it. You can just go to YouTube and, and, uh, type in the imperfect conservationist and you'll come across those. But, One of them that I did is to just stop feeling guilty because it is so debilitating. And when you're feeling guilty like that, it's, it's, you know, you're, you just end up throwing your hands up. At least that's how I react to that when I'm feeling bad about it. And I feel like I don't have any choice or impact or control. You just kind of like, ah, and you want to hide under that rock. You know, I think you, you touched on it just a minute ago about being a responsible traveler. And, um, I, some of the best advice that I ever got was from a dear friend of mine, Dr. Mara Hart, who wrote uh, Sex in the Sea about all the crazy alien ways that sea creatures reproduce, which is just so bizarre. You want to talk about like outer space being here <laughs> underwater. It's just freaky wild. Super cool book. Um, but she was talking about the best thing that um, we were talking about diving and she's like, the best thing we can do is divers. And really this extends to travelers. So whatever kind of adventurer you are and, and explorer you are, whether you love climbing mountains or underwater, you know, whatever it is, backpacking, et cetera. We have a choice every time we decide to go somewhere to support the local efforts being done about, you know, to support their protection of their environment, wherever your destination is. So, you know, as divers, Mara and I were talking about how we have a choice when we go on a dive trip, wherever we go, it's just smart to look into what is this destination doing to protect the marine environment? You know, do they have a marine park? Do they have a tax that you pay as a tourist going in which is awesome because they need that money to help patrol the area and hire, you know, the locals to patrol the area and to help protect it from poaching and things like that. And there are so many cool ways that as a, as a traveler, you can support that those local efforts, whether it be through an extra tax or fee that you get charged for going into the country or whether it's the activities that, you know, that you decide to do when you're there and even the places that you stay. 
you know, there's different uh, ratings of places around the world, of course, for different resorts and hotels and things like that, that of people that are, are, you know, organizations that are really supporting locals and the local environment. And those are important decisions to look into when you're going to different places. But it was something that you, maybe you don't necessarily think about right off the bat as being, you know, if you're a diver or something of looking for places that have their own marine park and you can support that. It's pretty cool. And the di- that's where the good diving is too, because yeah. it's protected, you yeah. know, and that transfers to on land, of course, as well. So. Yeah. And I think that's so valuable too, because I've talked to with a few of the other women that have had a focus on conservation and, you know, like, this is what I focus on and this is what I'm passionate about and this is what I focus on. And it's so important to just take what you are already passionate about and just go with that. So when you travel, if you focus on conservation in conjunction with diving and marine life, great. And if someone else is really interested in animals. And if someone like for me, I'm really focused on looking at gender equality and the impact of tourism on gender equality. So Mm -hmm. everywhere I go, that's my research project. Like I'm going to Switzerland and I, before I went, I Googled like, are there hotels that are women owned? Are there any hotels that have social impact initiatives, initiatives supporting women and bing, 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 I found a hotel to stay at. So so, cool. Is that going to change your world? No. But like you said, it makes me feel good that I took the initiative to do that. And it's my way of creating change. And so everyone can take something that already lights them up and and amplify that in their own way without having to carry the weight of everything. And I think right. it's just so, and it, and it just feels more authentic to you because you were already driven to do it. Right. And, and I think that, you know, taking the expectation off of it, that this is not necessarily going to be the one thing that changes the whole world, (laughs) but it does matter. And so I think when, you know, when that's tossed out there and it's kind of like, oh, well, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't, it, it's, that is such BS. That is such just excuse language Mm -hmm. that, you know, is, is, um, basically relieving the person of, of, the obligation that we all have as humans on this, having an impact on this planet, you know, um, to choose what's your, you know, I think about it in the context of like an overlay, right? So I really love going on water based trips and all of that, but we do a lot of other kind of travel as well. And, and, um, and, you know, I was in Costa Rica this year and, and although we were in the water, we spent most of our time on land and um, exploring the jungles and doing things like that. But if you pick the things that are important to you, and you you take that as the overlay, and you just put it on whatever environment, whatever place you're going, like, these are the three things I'm looking for, this is what I care about, then, you know, you can really uh, transfer that support for whatever your passion is, like the marine environment for me and gender equality for you. And you can transfer that to wherever you go and whatever environment it is. And it talking about it empowers other people to go, Oh, I never, you know, I want to try that. Or maybe this is what's important to me and I can support it through my trip and my travels. And, um, there's always going to be naysayers, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you're the impact you have even traveling. And it's like, okay, so we can't just not exist. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Just just because I care doesn't mean I all of a sudden gave up my right to travel in and exist. 
but how can I make a difference? You know, and, and that is really where you get that traction and that fuel. And that's, that's shareable. You know, we can transfer that as we talk about it and share stories. And, you know, like I, I just, yeah, I think it's such a, such a cool way to empower each other that it's not just about what we can do and continue to do. It's about what we are able to also share and pass on and create that ripple effect out. Yeah. That's what yeah. that's, that's yeah. change, right? Margaret Mead. Yeah. It's like how we, we make the, again, the quote thing, but you, it's the one that's only the small group of people that have ever driven change. It's the only, yeah, I butchered that one for sure, but you know what I mean? Well, it's well, such a great quotes. quote. <laughs> Do you know um, that one? Say it, I, say it because I'm I, sure some. I don't. I felt like I knew what it was and then it, it went away as you proceeded. But that's as okay. I was butchering it, <laughs> I need to put quotes up on my wall behind my computer so I can just be like, yes, I'm so wise. And I remember yes, all the I quotes. just I have all remember. these quotes memorized. I remember the essence of the quotes. <laughs> it's fun. like, you know, it's like lemon spray in the air. I just say remember, but I can't fully. That's all right. Bring it. I think that your brain <laughs> is being used to do other things. Uh, I guess kind of- it must be. We've already touched kind of on this, but just to like really hone it in. So this um, season of this podcast is focusing on women influencing change in the world. So um, I know for you, like many other women, this comes from our personal mission. It's really important. It's why, why we put ourselves out in the world we do. But what is the change that you are striving to create in the world? Like if the end of the day you knew you instigated this change, what would that be? Yeah, like the legacy, right? Like I've, I've, Megan was here. Yeah. Oh, you know, I think about this, you know, I still feel like, well, first of all, adulting's hard. Yes. I don't (laughs) regularly hard. (laughs) And I, so it's funny because I'm the baby in my family and I feel like I, I feel like I still am going, you know, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And, and and really what that has evolved to for me with age and and wisdom and all the things is is what yeah what impact do i want to have like what is my what is my purpose what what is the you know success of like megan was here and i think it's for me really like i i want to have a positive impact on the ocean through empowering people to be ocean stewards and really to be, to be stewards of whatever place they feel part of in the natural world. So really for me, that is, that is where I, that's success for me is having an impact on how individuals feel, myself included and my son and, and anybody that I can engage with and interact with that, that maybe I can have an impact on how they see their ability to make a difference in this world. Whatever, whatever superpower they have, their unique ability to make good in this world. If there is any way that I can help them find that and tap into that and apply that to whatever place in the natural world they're part of, that is success for me. So that is how I, um, everything I do really (laughs) in the, in this world, um, with work and in my life and in raising my kiddo, everything I do is geared at having a positive impact on the natural world in that way. Thank you. 
Um, and we've mentioned kiddos a few times and I had wanted to bring that into the conversation, but that'll have to be another time to talk about why we think that's so important. Um, before we end the conversation, um, Megan, can you just share, um, if people want to find you and learn more about the work that you're doing, uh, where, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my website is, you know, going to be linked up to all my socials. I'm very active on social media. Uh, and basically my handle is at Megan Haney Greer. So, um, another way that you can find me, which is easier to spell is my website, uh, which is also my name, MeganHaneyGreer.com, but, uh, Freediver.com is also pointing there, which is super easy to spell. So Freediver.com or MeganHaneyGreer.com, all my socials are on there and I love to connect with people. I am going to also be coming up, um, I encourage you to subscribe to my uh, email list there. I promise I don't send out very much of anything at all, but I will be sending out some really exciting new information as I put some of these programs together coming um, in the near in the near future. And um, yeah, I just encourage people to connect and I love sharing um, what's worked and what hasn't worked for you in conservation. And yeah, it's just such a great way to get, you know, that synergy and empowerment going. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, the last thing we have is our rapid fire questions to wrap up the conversation. So we'll start with those. Um, what are you reading right now? Oh my gosh. I am reading. Oh my gosh. What it, this is crazy. You totally caught me off guard. Oh, well, <laughs> one, we're reading Harry Potter. We're on book five. My son and I read that every night. And then I'm reading the Outlander. Oh my God. I couldn't remember the name. Outlander, the first book. Oh it's very gosh. good. I love the series. It so that's is. why I'm reading the book. Yeah, I've read all of them except for the last one because I don't want to read it because I don't want to be done. So I keep oh. to it because I don't want it to be done. <laughs> I'm like um, the world's slowest reader, though. So that it's going to be a very long process. Last you a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is always in your suitcase or backpack when you travel? Mm, my reusable water bottle. And um, I travel with my own coffee. I'm a coffee. I'm a very, I like, chewy coffee, very, very strong coffee. So I'm a total coffee snob, but not like, you know, the fancy coffee. It just like, if you can stand a spoon up in it, we're good. <laughs> you should go to my aunt Nancy's house. If you're ever in Montana, you will get the perfect cup of coffee. <laughs> I um, love it. <laughs> so to sojourn means to travel somewhere for a short time as if you live there. Um, where would you like to sojourn to? Mm. Oh my gosh. You know, the first place that pops in my head is Ireland. I just, that's on my, on my life list. I want to go there and yeah, just check it out. I'm Irish, a, per, a good percentage Irish anyway. And so a lot of family history there. Yeah. yeah I, um, I have two redheaded daughters who have told their whole life that they are going to feel most at home there. So I can't wait to take them. I to love that. I want to go to Ireland anyway, but it feels like I'm meant to take them. What do you eat that immediately connects you to a place you've been? Mm, oh, that's a good one. You know, probably um, starfruit. The um, mm. is it garambola? Is that right? Anyway, starfruit is kind yeah. of the more general name. Yeah, <laughs> carambola. Anyway, uh, yeah, it takes me right back to the keys. Yeah. Uh, where or who was the person that inspired or encouraged you to explore the world? Mm, my mama. For sure. She was um, very adventurous for her. Well, you know what? And also, I have to say, it's the women in my family. My um, 
both of my grandmas were very um, big travelers and my mom. So yeah, definitely the ladies in my family. Yeah. Uh, if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real, alive or past, who would it be? If I could take a trip? Yeah. Ooh. I want to travel with Michelle Obama. She would be fascinating. I want to, yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, That's who I would pick. So many great conversations on rides from point A to point B as well. That would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last one is who is one woman in the travel industry you admire and would love to recognize in this space? Oh my goodness. Or in the space of adventure as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. For your realm. <laughs> um, I, I really like Megan Hine. I follow her on Instagram and I just, um, I really like how she uses her platform to raise awareness about different things. Uh, she's just a badass. Like her stuff is so cool. I love seeing, you know, consuming her stuff. But yeah, I would have to say, I, I would have to say her. I think she's really cool. She's, um, she wrote a book and she is, always off doing some really amazing, you know, survival adventure and different things. And I just think that she's, uh, yeah, she's, I like how she uses. I like it when people use their platform, their superpower to help raise awareness. I think that there's, um, it's such an incredible opportunity and I, I hate seeing that stuff wasted. So I think she does a really good job of that. Yeah, thank you. I just shared in the season intro for, for this season, actually, that when I was little, I wanted to be an actress but I wanted to be an actress so that I could be an activist and a philanthropist. And I was like, I love that. I was exactly. the weirdest kid, <laughs> but that's what I wanted to do. Oh, that is really cool. Like what <laughs> wisdom? What the heck? That's I just awesome. saw like that. That was the people that people were listening to and they had like the loudest microphone, like, like they had the ability to do that and often had yeah. money or access to money to be able to create change. And, you know, when I was younger, I, I really can't think of, who it was that made me think that way. Like we have so many great role models for that now of women who are right. doing that, but I'm not sure what made me connect those thoughts, but that's, I was yeah. like, I grow up, I will be an actress and a philanthropist and an advocate. I love that. I think that it's, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I really just feel like it's a, it's a responsibility mm -hmm. that so many, so many people do embrace that are in the public eye. And then there's so many people that, um, that don't. And honestly, like in today's world, it's not, um, I think when you're given the, the, that kind of, uh, visibility and, and the platform that you can leverage, um, you know, like I'll, if there's somebody I see in a movie or some celebrity of any capacity that I'll follow, cause I'm like, Oh, I like what they did or whatever. If I don't see something actually adding value to my life, like it needs to go beyond just being an actor, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So if, if I don't see something that's adding value to my life, that's my time. That's the most valuable asset I have, right? And so if I'm going to give you my time, it has to also benefit me in some way because, you know, because I want it to, we're all looking for information like that, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's, that's, uh, so I'll end up unfollowing people if I'm like, meh, you know, I don't, I don't need to just see what the latest fashion is or what I have zero interest in that type of thing. But like, how are you changing the world? Now that I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, well, Megan, thank you so much. This has been Thanks. such a fun conversation. I wish we had a little bit more Likewise. time, but um, I really appreciate it. I think people are going to really enjoy hearing about your journey and understanding how we can just be empowered to make the choices that are authentic to us and still have a positive impact. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Super fun chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Soul of Travel. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If you love this conversation, I encourage you to subscribe, rate the podcast, and share the episodes that inspire you with others. I am so proud of the way these conversations are bringing together people from around the world. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I am so happy you are here. You can find all the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourns community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can learn more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can see details about the transformational sojourns I guide for women, as well as my book Sojourn, which offers an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. I am all about community and would love to connect. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective. Or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or at Solo Travel Podcast. Stay up to date by joining the Lotus Sojourns mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story. Mm-hmm.